What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. I take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus, and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There were a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on the forest floor for far too long, and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. In the programme today, I'll be speaking to Nina Scarrow, who is the chief executive of the Centre for Economics and Business Research, about Eat Out to Help Out, which begins today. The pandemic economy and also whether your job is really safer thanks to the furlough scheme. But first of all, I want to talk about the government buying up these quick turnaround tests for COVID-19 in preparation for a winter resurgence of the disease. The new 90-minute tests promise to detect coronavirus but also the flu and they'll be rolled out in care homes and laboratories from next week. But whilst the deal with two companies to buy these tests has been announced with some fanfare, Deenan Pillay, the Professor of Virology at UCL and also a member of this so-called independent SAGE group of scientists publishing their own advice on coronavirus, well, he cast some doubt on whether these tests have actually been proved to work. Matt Miller and I spoke to Professor Pillay earlier and we began by simply asking him how close the UK is to a second wave of the coronavirus. Whatever we call it, and, and of course the, the definitions have not been defi- uh, have not been clarified, um, we have a significant number of infections that have continued within the UK. Um, mm-hmm. And even at the time of lockdown, um, they were estimated at 2,000 cases or so a day um, from surveillance data, which is a higher rate of, of, of infections than the time when, when lockdown was released elsewhere, particularly in Europe. So there's always been ongoing infections. And now we're, of course, seeing the manifestation of that with, a, I think, a real rise um, happening. Um, and obviously, this is being located in areas where um, where the end of lockdown is starting to fuel um, new contacts between people in the absence of good infection control. So uh, what's the answer to these new new flare ups? I mean, do we need to go back into lockdown or can testing be part of the answer and and prevent that kind of economic, you know, uh, punishment? Yeah, well, you're quite right. There is a, a, a delicate balance here. Um, and um, the, the consequence of lockdown, um, of course, economic, but in addition, there's a whole range of other social and uh, mental health issues, um, isolation issues for individuals. So, um, it, and, and of course, education for schools. I think the critical thing is we need to get things in place for schools to open because of the disadvantage that kids have seen over uh, many months of without school. Yeah. So um, we need to really strengthen um, our systems in the UK, um, which have which have not been implemented optimally um, and have not built on existing previous 
public health structures, things like the Test and Trace program are new, um, and uh, it's certainly not world-beating. And we need to significantly ramp up our ability not only to test individuals, but to be able to ensure that we undertake um, contact tracing and those who've been in contact to, to get them to isolate for, mm. for 14 days. Um, yeah. And that, that is, is, is more difficult than one thinks because, of course, um, the people who are find, find it most difficult to isolate themselves for 14 days are, are, are those who are poor in the gig economy and so on, are precisely those at highest risk of getting infection. What about then the, this um, set of tests that the government has just announced amidst the kind of um, the major incident in Greater Manchester, more lockdowns in the north of England. Now the government talking about these two sets of 90 minute tests. So you get a result around COVID-19 in just 90 minutes. Is that going to do the trick? I mean, is it enough? Well, I um, mean, clearly new, new tests of this sort are, are really interesting um, and exciting. And, of course, they potentially could be implemented in different settings. So in social care settings, in schools, in places where you could rapidly detect if there's any upsurge of infection and therefore reassure people. The problem here is that, as is before, when government has identified and, and made a big uh, PR campaign around tests that have not yet been validated, there's no, for a virologist like myself, there's no data I can look at to convince myself, yes, this is a good test. Um, and I understand the government mm. is buying up these tests. But um, this has happened before with antibody tests, which were then subsequently right. found to be less optimal. So there you have it. Dinen Pillay, uh, who is the professor of virology at UCL. Interesting, exciting, but hardly an endorsement of these 90-minute tests. Uh, well, for more, I'm joined by Bloomberg's UK government editor, Tim Ross, today. Tim, good to speak to you. So, um, look, that this particular test aside, how real is this idea that we heard a lot about over the weekend of a potential lockdown for the capital, for London? On the flip side, you have, of course, uh, the eat out to help out push. There's a real kind of yin yang push pull feeling about what's going on at the moment. Absolutely. I mean, in terms of the London lockdown, obviously that, that's an extremely eye-catching concept that the capital would be sealed off, if you like, to incomers and people trying to leave. Um, we know that it was something the government did consider way back in March time, um, and it was on the cards then potentially, but instead at that point they opted for a national lockdown. Um, and I mean, we don't have the full reasons why they did that, but they, 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 their thinking has completely changed now, and they are very much of the mind that really any future lockdowns must be kept as local as possible so that as much of the economy can, can keep going. Um, so I'm not really surprised that it's, it's being considered and that plans are being drawn up. That, mm. that would seem to me to fit with exactly what they've talked about and considered in the past. Um, it, I don't get the feeling that it's particularly imminent, but obviously it's one of those things that's going to be you know, looked at as and when the, the infection rate takes off again in the capital. Yeah, and I suppose, is there, um, you know, some idea around perhaps scaring the public into making sure that they keep their social uh, distance and that they maintain all of their measures? I mean, the UK Local Government Secretary, Robert Jenrick, said that he wasn't aware of a specific plan to seal off London. Um, but these headlines are yeah. quite interesting. Is this kind of trying, is this nudge uh, philosophy? Well, it's not much of a denial, is it, that from Robert Jenrick, as you point out. Um, 
And again, it's difficult to, it's a very, very difficult balance, really, because on the one hand, the government really wants to encourage people to uh, make sure they do stick to the rules. But and, and, you know, if fear is part of that, well, you know, there is quite a lot to worry about with this virus, I think. Uh, but at the same time, the economy is suffering and people are still not spending in the way that they were before. People are not going out to shops in the way they were before and restaurants are still down and so on. So the government wants really a massive surge in economic activity to try to bring that economy back to life. Um so in order to do that, you need to make sure people are confident to go out. So it's an extremely difficult double whammy of a message to try to give to, to the public. Um, and that really cuts to the heart of the dilemma for, for Boris Johnson. Does he lock down again? How does he do it? And how does he try to keep the economy running? What are those choices and trade-offs? It's going to be very hard. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and this weekend, of course, and, and, and this Monday was meant to be, or at least, you know, going back a few weeks, the idea was that this would be the week where you would see people returning to offices. And, in, um, you know, if people didn't have to sort of work from home and they could work safely from an office, that they should do so. But as you say, so much kind of movement and change week by week. Look, on the tests themselves, do you think that this is perhaps the big push, the test and trace um, that the government has promised has and desperately needs well they've, they've they have as you say tried numerous times to deliver a testing system that is really world beating that's the promise that's what we've all been mm. told and uh a lot of doubts remain about quite how effective it is i think that you know we'll get a sense of that as the the next surgeon infections comes i think it's at a very, very basic level, um, it's quite clear that the more tests you have, that the better your system for, for tracking and tracing the, the spread of the infection is going to be. Um, mm. I'm not an expert on the technicalities of it, but a fast test is obviously attractive for a number of reasons. And I think that that's why the government's trying to roll it out as, as quickly as, as they can ahead of the winter. Um, on the mood thing, just going back to that, I mean, mm. I came across some quite interesting you know, figures that get into that debate about just how frightened people are. Mm. People are so much more willing to take precautions than they are to take risks, I think. And the National, the Office of National Statistics found last week that 57% of adults really were very happy to wear masks and to make masks mandatory in shops. But only a third, 34%, said they'd be comfortable eating at a restaurant indoors. Interesting. Even with the the uh, hopefully extra protection of, of wearing a mask. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, look, then the last thought is pubs versus schools. It's still well, four weeks away, but most parents, I'm sure, have their eyes on September the 3rd, 4th. I think it's going to be extremely important for the government, really, to, to retain the support of the public to try and get schools operating again as normal uh, in September. And the government is certainly so far saying that's going to go ahead. But again, last week at that press conference on Friday, which was much a, a bit of a turning point, I think, really, in the UK response, the chief medical officer, Chris Whitty, and Boris Johnson were both saying there are going to have to be trade-offs. So the question really is, if the school reopening does go ahead, what then has to close to kind of compensate, if you like, to lower the risk? Because... That will be the difficult decision the government's going to have to take in the weeks ahead. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. 
at Stiefel. It's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. I want to take you through some of the other news in the world of politics today. We begin uh, with this sad detail that the former SDLP leader and Nobel Peace Prize winner John Hume has died at the age of 83. He played a key role in creating a power-sharing government in Northern Ireland and negotiating the Good Friday Agreement back in 1998. His family say that he passed away in a care home after a short illness. Turning to Westminster now, where the Conservatives are under fire for not suspending a party MP who has been arrested and bailed on suspicion of rape. Labour says it is shocking, with opposition parties calling for the MP's removal. Here's the Lib Dem leadership candidate, Leila Moran. Given the seriousness of these allegations and that suspension uh, in a workplace or anywhere else is actually a neutral act, it's a a thing that you do in order to set off an investigation of your own and allow other investigations to complete, uh, I would urge them to think again. But a spokesperson from the Tory Whips office says that they are waiting for the conclusion of a police inquiry. The allegations against the former minister were reportedly made by an ex-parliamentary employee. And then on the post-Brexit trade front, Liz Truss will meet with her US counterpart Robert Lighthizer in Washington today as part of the third round of talks to reach a trade deal. The Department for International Trade said that a deal will boost the UK economy by £15 billion and remove almost half a billion pounds worth of tariffs. But the talks have been beset by disagreements over agriculture in particular. Lighthizer has said that an agreement is unlikely this year. And then finally, UK customers will get up to £10 off their bill when they visit restaurants, pubs and cafes from today. The Eat Out to Help Out scheme will be available on Mondays, Tuesdays and Wednesdays throughout August. It is part of the government's scheme aimed at boosting restaurants and pubs and protecting jobs in the hospitality sector, which has been hard hit by the pandemic. Well, for more on that and uh, the wider picture of how the coronavirus is affecting British businesses and the economy, I'm pleased to be joined this morning uh, by Nina Scarrow, Chief Executive of the Centre for Economics and Business Research. Nina, thanks for being with me. So look, first of all, uh, on this eat out to help out scheme, is it really enough to save a good deal of jobs? I think it's important to consider it to help out as, as just a piece of the wider wider effort. We know that um, hospitality, including restaurants, is still one of the sectors that has the highest share of, of staff on furlough. So it's clearly a sector that, that still needs um, help. So this is a, a small piece of the puzzle although um, a lot of businesses are calling for further assistance for the higher sectors, such as restaurants, including, for example, a, a more targeted furlough scheme that would go on beyond October. 
Because when I look at the research that you've done at the CBR, um, you actually expect about a third of all UK businesses who are trading at the start of this year to actually go bust, cease trading by mid-2021. Um, normally around 15% of businesses were shut down in that time period in another year. So there is a significant risk um, of you know the end of the furlough scheme, meaning mass unemployment and a lot of job um, businesses going under. Yes, I, I realize that um, sort of, you know, a third of businesses going bust might sound dramatic, but actually this isn't um, too far off from numbers we've just seen um, elsewhere. And in fact, it's very similar to the findings of research we've done in partnership with um, Opinium, our, our Opinium CBR business distress tracker. And there we also see around a third, 36% of businesses feel that there is a risk that they will enter insolvency as a result of coronavirus-related disruptions. So that's nearly 2 million businesses. So the risks are very much there. And I think on, on one hand, there is a feeling that, you know, the worst of the lockdown is past us, sort of barring a you know, countrywide second wave, which has led to a bit of an uptick in business sentiment. But that uptick in sentiment hasn't really been matched by an uptick in actual business results. Mm. Um, from the same research that I just mentioned, for example, that roughly the same share of businesses that feel positive about the business outlook feel negative about the business outlook, which is a significant uptick from what we saw a couple of months ago. But on the other hand, um, businesses are still on average reporting profits that are about a quarter lower than they would be were it not for the coronavirus crisis, which is roughly the same um, the same share that we saw during peak lockdown. Mm. I mean, look, the, the pressure on Rishi Sunak come the autumn is surely going to be overwhelming. Um, I mean, yes, I understand that that you say that the number of businesses that you think might fold is actually not perhaps as eye-watering as the kind of the initial number makes out. But that's because the furlough scheme is propping up so many, so many workers. And if that is scaled back too quickly, that there could be a surge in unemployment. And indeed, you know, the UK is doing worse than European counterparts because of the health crisis, right? Yeah, I think it, I think in a way, you know, businesses and and you know, just people more widely have been quite uh, positive and quite receptive to the schemes that the government and that the chancellor have have put out there. But I do think personally that the true test of those schemes actually wouldn't have been what happened in the past few months, but what's going to happen in the coming months. Um, because with the level of support that's been extended so far, mm. it definitely has delayed, I think, rather than prevented um, some job cuts, some business closures. I think the true extent of the economic damage is really going to, to become um, obvious later on this year. So far, for example, we've seen unemployment figures uh, actually not spike up um, too much too much at all compared to where they were at the start of the year. But mm -hmm. I think for the for the year over overall, is unemployment is going to rise substantially, sort of closer to to ten percent, averaging around eight percent for the year. So I, I do think that in terms of the economic indicators, the the hardest is yet to come.
Yeah, absolutely. And you've also talked um, about this, about the furlough scheme uh, in your recent work, that only a third of businesses are fully confident of actually retaining their furloughed staff. So how much of an alarm bell does that ring for you? Well, it, it is a, a real worry. And um, some businesses um, have found it surprising that there hasn't been, in terms of the furlough scheme, that there hasn't been a more sector-specific mm. approach because a lot of sectors are really ramping up as they exit the lockdown. And, you know, for them, they're hopeful that they will be able or they already have brought back a lot of their staff from furlough. But we're seeing the complete end of the furlough scheme now coming um, in October. And some sectors, for example, arts and entertainment, for them, the lockdown is still pretty similar to what it was in April and May. So they're still in as difficult of a situation they were a few months ago, um, and they're going about to lose a large chunk of the support. Um, so as, as you say in our research um, in the business distress tracker, we see that uh, only a third of businesses are confident they will bring all of, back all of their furlough staff. Around a fifth say that they definitely won't bring back all of the furlough staff, and sort of the rest are, the rest are somewhere in the middle, still, still taking on the wait-and-see approach. Um, now, there is the £1,000 incentive for businesses to bring back furlough staff, mm. but our research finds that um, only about a, a third of businesses think that uh, you know that was a uh, that was an advisable decision that would really impact their their thinking. Look, I thought it was quite noteworthy that the um, the a new report from the Institute for Government and the Chartered Institute for Public Finance and Accountancy. Um, has been one that has sort of fleshed out the criticism around the Conservative government since 2010, that they basically failed to properly plan and equip the UK for a pandemic. I mean, do you feel that that is sort of similar? Um, is that part of the problem when it comes to this issue around the persistent complaint that the government has not addressed the sectoral needs? You know, I've heard it from not just uh, entertainment and arts, uh, but hospitality and also the childcare sector. I mean, housing and so on. Everybody seems to have their complaint that the government hasn't thought about how the help will actually benefit that sector or not. Well, I, I think I think a lot of governments, you know, as, as you say, hindsight is always twenty. Mm. So. I, I think that uh, a lot of governments around the world would have done things differently uh, as a lot of, you know, the same is the truth for a lot of businesses would have done differently, planned things differently had they known what was uh, awaiting us this year. Now, um, I, I think what in the UK is particularly a point of stress is that there have been a lot of underlying issues for, for many years, um, regional inequalities, um, you know, over-reliance on, on particular sectors, you know, especially in London around services, around finance. Uh, so there have been, you know, lack of housing affordability. There have been a number of, of issues that the government has been seeking to address for a number of years. And then, uh, of course, first we had Brexit, and then mm. Brexit required a lot of specific government action, a lot of you know, government thinking of their time. So yeah. some of the wider issues that were previously the focus got um, a little bit, maybe not put on hold, but 
weren't as much of a priority. Yeah. And, and then in the afternoon, on the back of that, we now have the pandemic. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.